Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, I own the club. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And a good Friday morning to you. A good, warm, humid Friday morning here in Memphis, Tennessee. We've got a program that I think you'll find to be interesting. We're going to be talking to David Peel with the Peel Law Firm about the need for an umbrella. And obviously, we're not talking about the umbrella that you might need if it was raining today. It's not one of those type umbrellas, but it's talking about, of course, that big umbrella that covers in case of something that is you cause, you might want to protect. And obviously, that's to cover that damage that uh, cover what could be caused by damage to someone else that you want to be aware of. So we're going to talk specifically about uh, a little bit about the insurance you might want to need, especially those that uh, that special all kind of accidents that you may have, or as he referred to it as mayhem. And we've seen that type of um, a commercial on the TV, Mr. Mayhem. We've talked about that before. Also, we're going to be talking later on in the program with Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. We're going to talk about the market. We're going to talk about Greece and China and all the upheaval and the kind of the the movement that we see that's going through the market. We'll get an update from him as we uh, develop the rest of the program. But my guest host with me today is Jeremy Jones. And Jeremy, it's always facts on Friday. And uh, so let's go with some facts. What you got today? Well, we have some good facts this morning. Uh, you know, one that comes to mind because I just uh, met with a client this week and talking about Social Security. And this was a new client that just mentioned, yeah. I went ahead and filed for my Social Security, got my check, but she was only 62, and she said, I just wanted to go ahead and get it because it wasn't going to be any more the misnomer. So talking about Social Security, well, talking about just can't wait, 73% of retired workers who received Social Security benefit payments in 2013 began taking their retirement benefits early. So that's a huge number that more and more people are taking Social Security early without understanding what's the loss or what they're doing. So that's an interesting uh, number there. Another one would be uh, low expectations. So 47% of nearly 3,300 workers surveyed in March of 2015 said or expect Social Security to go bankrupt. So with that research... That's I wonder why people are taking it early. Well, that may be the reason why she was taking it early. She said, it's not going to be around. I might as well get as much as I could yeah, now. absolutely. And that's a, really a mindset because we do talk to a lot of people today that think about Social Security, and there's this just this cloud that hangs over their head that will it be able to pay me uh, 10, 15, 20 years out? And that's one thought for that 62-year-old. But what about the 42-year-old? They're beginning to come up with that thought process. Will it be bankrupt? Or will I will I be eligible because of my economics? My I've got a 401k plan. I've got some savings. Will I lose my Social Security as a result? Yeah, it's one thing for the 42-year-old. Why worry about it now? Right. Yeah. You've got, you got 20 years to worry about it. Exactly. What else you got? Well, I got one final thing. All right. And this one's a little bit better because it kind of means something since uh, recently – I was playing in a golf tournament, in a charity golf tournament, and had a member on my team to hit a hole-in-one 
and not just hit a hole in one, but since it's in a tournament in a special hole, he won $20,000. Wow, that's good for Social Security. <laughs> yeah, he won $20,000. That was the most excitement I've had in quite a while. But the, the statistic here, Art Wall, a PGA Tour member, a former uh, PGA Tour member, hole-in-ones, when we talk about hole-in-ones, he has more hole-in-ones than any other golfer in PGA history with 45. And who is his name? Art Wall. Do you even know who I that is? I don't even know who that is. I don't is. know who that is, but who's number two, you will recognize. I might recognize him. Sam Sneed. Okay. Sam Sneed. Now, he goes way back, but he has only 32. When I say only 32, that's still a lot of aces. As much golf as they play. Yeah, no kidding. But 45 hole-in-ones. But I had the most exciting hole-in-one in the last and two that's weeks. Good. Congratulations to your team. And did you yes. win? Uh, no, no, still came in second. <laughs> Hole in one, and you come in second. Well, I've had one of those, but uh, unfortunately, uh, my wife was with me playing golf when I had mine. So that's the only one Did I've ever had. Did she give you $20,000? No, she didn't. You know, she <laughs> hugged my neck, though. Okay. That was good. That was worth $20,000. Well, stay with us, because when we come back, we're going to be talking with David Peel with the Peel Law Firm here in town. And he is a, a lawyer that's going to talk to us about what happens uh, if you've had an accident or an uninsured motive, some new law and all the issues that go along with, um, I guess we'll let him tell you what it's all about because it's tough stuff. It's uh, it's those things you got to protect. So it's called dealing with the umbrella. So we'll talk about it when we get back right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money. We'll return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, of course, along with Jeremy Jones today. And our guest in the studio is David Peel with the Peel Law Firm. And, David, I want to just say welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much. Good You've to been be a guest of ours before. You always do a great job. And I guess today what I'm looking at is that, you, you know, you're an in, you deal with injuries. You deal with that person, whether it's something you caused or somebody has hit you or something like that. And I'm sure that you see all kinds of accidents, all kinds of problems, issues, and stuff like that. But, you know, what is it, I guess, that you know as a result of that, that idea, that you would want to share with us? What would you start with? Because I want our listeners to say, okay, I've been in an accident. It was not my fault, and I've been hurt. What should they do? Or on the other hand, I've been in an accident. I caused it. I hurt somebody, then what should I do? Okay, well, let's start with the idea of causing an accident. None of us want to do that. If that occurs, uh, you need to get your insurance company involved very quickly. A lot of times I'll get a panic call from someone at church or something saying, I've caused an accident. What do I do? 
and they don't really realize that their auto insurance hires attorneys, investigates that, defends them, and can settle the case or, if necessary, defend them in court. Um, and they just don't realize that's what that's for. Mm. So that's the first call that you make once everybody's Now, what okay. part of their insurance is that call? That would be their auto liability insurance. And But it brings up a second point, which is what if their automobile liability insurance isn't very high because okay, they have assets? Okay, that's a good point because <laughs> I actually read into someone – Years ago, this is thirty years ago, and 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 you know, I called my insurance company. It was my fault, man. I just you knew I could give you all kind of excuses. Reality, my accident, I caused it, and I and I got a ticket for it. And you know, a year later, to the date, I get served at five o'clock in the morning with about two and a half inches of paper. Sure, I mean, this person had all kind of problems, and that's that's okay. Well, the first thing I did, I called my insurance company. They'd already I'd already reported the accident. But they told me, they said, well, you only have X amount of liability. You probably need to also hire your own private attorney. That's a wake-up call. That is a wake-up call. And that, and you won't have that call if you have an umbrella policy right. that will come over the top of any liability policy you have. If you have as significant assets, it's worth insuring that. Well, I didn't have significant assets back then, <laughs> but they informed me that I needed an umbrella. <laughs> so I now have an umbrella. Uh, but the point was, I mean, that's what people need to understand. The umbrella covers what you might find that could be hampered. And gotten. I had a client years ago that his son was driving down Poplar Avenue real early in the morning, like 1 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and had an accident. And uh Caused some some injury to some people, and uh, he didn't realize that sixteen year old son was his liability. Absolutely, and uh, severe injury and damage to property and all kinds of things. Uh, the son wasn't doing was doing some things he shouldn't have been doing, and it got into court. And I mean, tremendous issues. Would the umbrella policy have covered that? Absolutely. Tell me about that. Tell me how much should he have gotten? What's the limits? Uh, sure. What each insurance. Each insurance company is a little different. Most of them require at least a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of underlying liability, and then they'll say usually a million-dollar umbrella on top of that. Okay. Uh, you can get $2 million, $5 million, whatever. The idea is that the morning that you find out that your son's caused an accident and hit a school bus full of children is too late to buy it. Ah. You have to buy it before then. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk about that. You've got this $100,000 liability. Then you got an umbrella. Right. And let's say you're worth, you know, X number of dollars, and whether it's a million or two million or ten million or fifty thousand dollars, if you have the umbrella there, if there is the lawsuit and you're found guilty, mm-hmm. and if you cause the accident, is there any way that you cannot be guilty? Well, I mean, if you get a ticket, I mean, Jeremy, can you think about that? If you cause the accident, can you not be guilty? Sure. <laughs> There's a possibility. <laughs> Everything is That's why arguable. you have David. That's why you have David. Okay. <laughs> Everything is arguable. The right. ticket actually doesn't establish fault. The okay. ticket establishes a reasonable suspicion that somebody violated a traffic law, but it's, okay. but it's hearsay. It's not even admissible in court. Ah. Well, in I learned court. something. <laughs> so, okay. So if I, if I cause an accident, I need to be careful. I need to know what I'm doing. I need to call my insurance agency agent. I need to call an attorney. If I need to call an attorney, he should probably tell me that right. from that standpoint. Right. And, then, and then understand that uh, it would be good to have a umbrella policy. A- absolutely. There are cents on the dollar for what they pay out. All right. Let me ask this question. Are the umbrella policy paying for damages or paying for legal fees? It. The legal fees are part of your auto insurance. 
uh, and that'll be covered, and the umbrella is purely for damages. And so as an example, I had a client who was at a person's house. The person was showing them a gun, and it discharged accidentally. A piece of concrete flew up into my client's eye, and we settled that case for $850,000. They had a $1 million umbrella. Mm. It compensated her for that particular case in those particular circumstances. Mm. Had they not had that $1 million umbrella, had they had the normal $100,000, they probably wouldn't be in their house. Oh, okay. So the house could have been subject to the, right. to the problem. Th- their only alternative is bankruptcy if that doesn't work. So umbrella policies are important. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. What can, you know, if you have a house, you don't really have many assets, you might have a retirement plan and you get basically checking and savings account, but really nothing liquid. I guess they can still kind of tie those assets up. I mean, retirement accounts, home, whatever it may be. It's a judgment. You know, it's a legal judgment against you. And so short of something like Social Security, you know, they can come after you. It's fairly rare to be done because most folks who are smart listen to Jim and they go, wait, I need to buy better insurance. I've got good assets. I don't want to lose them. Okay, so it's just it's sensitive to being listening to you. Okay, let's do, what about uninsured motorists? I know that we we have an uninsured motorist law in the in the tenant state of Tennessee, but uh, tell me how what it is and how it works. Well, actually, we we've even had a new law passed about it. That's right, July the first. Right, it's okay. been effective for ten days. Okay, and what it does is it increases fines on uninsured motorists. Uh, we need to do something. We have twenty percent of Tennessee driving around uninsured. A big percentage of that 20% drive around our area uninsured. We're part of the feeder to that. Mm. That's over 600,000 people. They percentage-wise cause more accidents than uninsured people per mile driven. Uh, but, uh, David, let me ask this question. So we're going to find them more. Is that solving the problem? I mean, well, if I'm an uninsured motorist, uh, uh, you know, the, especially once you've caused an accident, accident. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're useless. really a problem. Right? Yeah. So you're saying we're a feeder for that, and there's 20% of the 600,000 people in right. the state of Tennessee. Uh, I guess I guess maybe a finding them might be more or whatever. But Well, that the only thing the law can really do is uh, find them, uh, try to ban them from driving, and then on the second offense or beyond that, they can tow the car now, which they couldn't before. Okay. This is done because there was an accident where an uninsured driver hit somebody and then went right on driving uninsured and shortly later killed somebody. And the idea was, shouldn't there be something in between those two things? What about the under, underinsured, underinsured coverage? I mean, well, you you know, can I can I cover for something like that in my own? I'm driving down the street, somebody runs into me, and but the person that hit me doesn't have anything, but the passenger is damaged. Could I be liable for that? Uh, you would use your uninsured motorist for people with inside your car. Okay. Okay. And if they're not, it also actually covers your family and other people's car. It covers your children walking to school. It covers uh, in any scenario where an uninsured or underinsured driver or even unknown driver with a hit and run, which, by the way, hit and runs are going to go up because of this law, because the, the, mm. the idea is that they're going to get their car towed, which is really probably not true on the first one. But that's that's the idea that's being put out there, and people are going to react that way. So a hit and run would be the person who's underinsured or under uninsured does it and takes off. Right, and so you only have, in any of those circumstances, your own uninsured motorist. And your agent can tell you right now how much you have, and I bet the average listener has no idea how much they have. Hmm. But it's whatever they picked 
And I can tell you over and over again, I have clients who wake up at the med four days after an accident, and they've got $160,000 in medical bills. They've had a life flight that they don't remember, and that's where they start their recovery. Mm. That's tough. That can be a big issue. I mean, that's a, that's a an eye-opener. All right, to our listening audience, let's walk through what they should do. Let's just give them, you know, we've got a few minutes left. I want to really specifically deal with what should they do. Uh, you're driving down the street right now. Do they know? So give us the points. Well, I would check with my agent. Some agents are um, are have come up through the claims division of their company, and they have real live uh, ability to tell you this is how this works, and some maybe are not so versed. Hmm. But I would tell the agent that I want to carry a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of UM to cover my family. Uninsured motorist. Uninsured motorist, UM. And if you carry about 200 or 250, you, usually makes you eligible to go ahead and buy the umbrella. Now, all the insurances will usually be the same. So, in other words, what you buy for uninsured motorist to protect you, you'll generally have for liability to protect others. Which is also good because if your son does hit a school bus, you'd like to have some coverage right, right. Uh, for that sort of thing. And in general, remember, in Tennessee, the owner of the car is first in the lawsuit, and he's the first to pay. Owner of the car, not the, not driver. the driver. Owner. So be be careful who you let drive your car. Oh, you 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 are, as someone says, you're putting your assets on the line when you lie when you loan your car. All right, let me ask you this: What about the car that is owned by a company? Company-owned cars, and and then you've got uh, an individual driving it that's an executive. Is that company also liable because they own the car? They're first. They're first. I filed a lawsuit yesterday, and the first person listed is the owner of the is car. The, is the, the, the company owner. company of the car because he was on company business, so it's covered. He's the owner of the car. Okay, so that's something for the good. So what else would a person need? I guess what I'm looking for, I've had the accident. Oh, okay. All right, here I am. Now, so we're post-accident? We're post-accident. Okay. And... Give me the steps I need to take. Post-accident. I caused the accident. Right. Once everybody's okay, we want to call our insurance company. We want to give them good information on everything, and we don't want to do anything to make anything worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so if you're at, at fault for that, if you're not at fault for that, if you're the one that – or at least you don't think you're at fault for that, then I don't recommend uh, if you think you're the victim giving statements to insurance companies. They're very trained at getting those recorded phone statements, right. which, of course, you can record any phone calls. Right. Doesn't have to, they don't have to tell you. Right. Uh, oh, that's, that's, a, that's important for people to know because there's this mindset that if you're going to record me, I have to know that. No, that's never been true in Tennessee. The, the, the idea is I can't record a phone call between two people who don't know I'm doing it. That's eavesdropping. That's a federal wiretap. That's a crime. I can't record a call between you and Jeremy. Right, if I, if, if, unless one of us knows. Unless one of you know. Right. But I can record a call with you. You can record every phone call you make from here on out the rest of your life. Well, that's not nice. Okay, you're interested in doing that, Jeremy? No, no, not yeah. at all. But uh, but that's good, and I don't have to tell the person that I'm recording it. No, and I understand that. Okay, yeah. and so as a result, when someone's a victim of a of an accident, they're shaken up, they're nervous, they don't understand what's going on. They may be going on pieces of misinformation, of which there's a ton about this kind of stuff. Right. They'll tend to, in this shaken condition, maybe on pain medicine, talk to an insurance company and get asked all kinds of questions, and sometimes. You know, there's ways to present the truth right. that that sound deceptive. I had a client who gave a statement, and they said, "What happened when you saw when the light turned yellow?" And he said, "I just kept driving because I could clear it." And they said, "Well, was your foot on the brake or the accelerator?" He said, "The accelerator." And he said, "So you accelerated through the light?" He's like, "Yeah." 
And later on, they denied liability on the case initially, saying, well, when I called them and I said, why are you denying liability? They said, well, he gunned it through the light, trying to beat the light. And I said, let me let me get a copy of the statement. And, of course, the statement was, you know, obviously he didn't drive with his brake through the light. Right, right. He um, wasn't stopping middle of the way through the light. But But had he just waited and been in my office and we'd given a statement, I wouldn't have allowed it to go that way. Right. Right. You know, yeah. and so that's the only thing that, you know, you don't want to rush to an attorney and look greedy. I get that. But at the same time, the insurance companies don't make money paying claims. They make I, money not paying not, claims. Not paying claims. So so don't look at it as being a negative, but look at it as just being aware and sensitive. And you're the trained professional. You know basically what's going on. So if you just tune in, we're talking with David Pill of the Pill Law Firm. We're, we're talking about umbrella coverage, uninsured motorists, and all those things that happen when you have an accident and how to be sensitive about it. David, it, you know, I guess as you walk us through, we're talking about a certain amount of coverage. We're talking about... Thinking before you answer a lot of questions, you know, don't be on pain medication when you're answering that. Right. Um, and uh, we've got higher fines. Twenty percent of the Tennessee drivers are uninsured. Um, I guess my coverage. I want to make sure my coverage covers somebody in my car. Right. If I were, if I hit someone that's uninsured, or I hit, or someone that's un, uninsured hits me. Correct? Right. E- either way, either way, if you hit someone, it's going to be under your liability coverage because you're at fault. But if someone hits you, it's going to be, and they're uninsured or underinsured, it's going to be under your UM coverage. Now, it's it's interesting. The order in which things would happen would be this. Let's say you're driving somewhere and you get rear-ended. It's clearly their fault. Right. Your passenger took a bad lick, and as a result, uh, the way the order in which things would go would be their first claim would be against the person that rear-ended them. Right. They've got a claim against him as a liability. Their second claim would be against the uninsured motorist within the car they're in, which is yours. Okay, uh, you can They could claim under that. Okay. And then if they personally had, maybe they had higher coverage themselves, okay. or maybe their dad did and they live with their dad, then – you know, then they could have a claim. So you know, you we're, have some we're talking about vehicles and we're talking about driving in Memphis and, right. you know, that's taking your own life in your own hands every sure. day. But let me ask you this. What about the, the liability at home, the, the slip and fall? I mean, just recently I had someone that fell over a small crack in a person's driveway and, and, and fell and, and really messed their face up. I mean, sure. landed flat on their face. Well, tell me what happens there. Right. You've got a couple different issues there. One is... Uh, there is something called medical payments coverage. It's mm. usually on your car. It's certainly on your house, and it's five to ten thousand on average. Some of them only have a thousand. What that does is pay medical bills directly to the either provider or the person who paid them for medical claims made on the property, regardless of fault. And so, because of that, most people assume something that is not true. They most they mostly assume that if somebody's hurt on your property, it's automatically your fault. Never been true in any state in our country for a second. Okay, so they hurt on my property. It's not automatically my not fault. Not automatically your fault. They've got to prove you were negligent. And further, they actually would have to prove they're, you're more negligent than them in our state because it's a 50-50. Nobody gets anything. So the idea of a crack in the driveway, presumably you're on notice of that. You know, you built the driveway, right. you walked the driveway, things like that. So they may be able to show that, especially if it's not clear and obvious to them. But the med pay a lot of times will end a claim because their insurance will pay, the med pay will pay the deductible, and they go on about their life. Okay. 
But if they don't, then your liability coverage on your homeowner's cut kicks in. And if that's not enough, then your umbrella, again, covers Is that umbrella going to cover you for insurance in your car and insurance in your home? So yes. the umbrella is mm. the big deal. That's yes. the thing everybody needs to understand. So what we're saying today is if you don't have umbrella coverage, call your insurance agent, ask about it, add it to it, and, and you're saying be sensitive to the amount. It's not that expensive, is it? It's really not because... There's, there's, there's an increase in cost when you go on your underlying coverage. Let's say you have 100000 now and your insurance says you need 250 underlying coverage to buy the umbrella. Then the umbrella itself may only be a few hundred dollars. But that, there, is an, there is a cost increase on that bottom. But here's, here's what you're doing. By doing that, uh, you are increasing the, the ability for your own family or those within your car to recover in the event you have an accident accident. with uninsured motors because a lot more than 20% of Memphis is uninsured. It's 20% of Tennessee that's uninsured. There are sections of Memphis where the majority are uninsured. Uninsured. Wow. Jeremy, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I made a note. Uninsured motors? I'm not sure that I have it, you know. (laughs) But I do know I have an umbrella. But Uh, uninsured motors, I'm not real (laughs) sure. Umbrella, that's a good point. I mean, you know know how quick accidents happen. Yeah, Just this past weekend at the boat and all that stuff that was going on. Sure. Accidents happen. So great program. David, you always do a good job for us, man. (laughs) You bring us to some great information. We thank you, sir, for being with us and uh, being a part of the program. Thank you so much. When you uh, just joined us, we've been talking with David Pill, but when we come back, we've got Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment. He is going to talk about China and Greece and all the ups and downs we've had this week in the market. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. Once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. Uh, We've got a program that you will want to listen. You will want to take notes. This is Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. Welcome to the program, Rusty. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, guy, you do a great job for us. But I want to start. We got Greece, we got China, we got the euro, we've got our markets, we've got reporting going on. So let's start with Greece has been roiling the markets again. I mean, it's just going on and on and on. Uh, is this temporary, a small bump in the road, as some people seem to think, and the current bull market will continue to go? Or is this going to be the turn to something similar that happened to the Lehman Brothers, if you think about it, caused kind of this crisis back in 2008? So what's your take? 
Well, my, my take is more the former, that it's more likely to be a bump in the road. Uh, it's not likely to uh, turn into a Lehman Brothers. And one of the reasons is that over the course of this long talk that we've been having about Greece for many years now, most of the banks in Europe have kind of eliminated their exposure to Greece. So the chances of it turning into a financial uh, system crisis, where you have a systemic failure in the banking system in Europe that spreads worldwide, is very, very small. Uh, the people who are going to lose money on Greece are government institutions like the IMF and the European Central Bank and things like that, not you know, the large uh, publicly traded banks in Europe. So chances are it's going to uh, it's going to be in our eyes. There's going to be a lot of headlines, and uh, it's crazy. It really is truly a crazy situation, but it's uh, and it's disturbing for the Greece, Greek people, particularly if they choose to go uh, as they did, as they voted to go against the euro and to kind of back out of it. Uh, it it's not clear that that's what's going to happen, but that's what they voted for. Had they had, if that is what eventuates, it's going to be a very t- tough time for the Greek people. But it probably won't be something that impacts the global markets in any big way. You know, when you look at it, I, recently I guess an article Wednesday or Tuesday in the, in the in the journal talked about that the political side for Merkel is really kind of putting that. That's a big situation because basically she's going to lose an enormous amount of political power. If Germany, because Germany's kind of putting this debt out there, uh, do you see that affecting Germany? I mean, it, it is a she's got herself extended because of France and desiring France to stay in the in the euro. But if they do pull out, even though it's an orderly pullout, is that going to affect Germany's uh, thought processes? I mean, it is a political problem for her. Is it an economic problem for Germany? Uh, I, definitely a political problem for her. It seems like no matter which way it goes, uh, she probably has to pay a political price. So uh, it's unfortunate for her. But from an um, uh, impact on the economy, and the, even the local German economy, I don't think it has much of, a, of an impact. And so it may be a passing problem if it doesn't really cause any particularly large uh, economic problems. Uh, but I will say this, that if Greece were to get thrown out of the euro, and there was widespread humanitarian concerns of shortages of medicines and food and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that could have some really nasty political reverberations, and I'm sure that's weighing on the Europeans as they decide how to handle this latest proposal that Greece has made, which, by the way, is the exact opposite of what the country just voted for them to do. So <laughs> last Sunday, the country, the country voted for them to leave the euro, essentially, and now the guy who championed that vote, uh, Prime Minister Cyprus, is doing exactly the opposite of what the people asked him to do by presenting a a proposal to the Eurogroup, which basically caves into all their demands. Okay, okay, so yeah, exactly. life, life is weird. Yeah, let me ask you that, because that didn't... Jeremy and I were talking about that earlier as we were thinking through the program. I mean, Jeremy, you know, we looked at that and thought, that doesn't... I mean, it is It is opposite. It is... I mean, I don't understand that. Now, I'm not trying to say I understand the, the Greeks, and I, because I was over there a couple of years ago. Uh, they, if you talk to the man on the street, and, you know, I'm not saying I was doing any reporting or... But I just talk to a lot of people. You just ask a lot of questions, whether it's a, a retailer or the guy at the hotel or whatever. Uh, and and they, were, they were oblivious to their issues. They didn't see it as a problem. They didn't even think about it. But what are, why are we doing, why is he doing that? And why, in your opinion, Rusty, because I know you've got a lot of history with this stuff. Um, that just doesn't, that doesn't seem to make sense, in my opinion, because of where he's headed with that and what he's trying to do. But what what do you think his game plan is? 
Well, he's a politician. So it's always hard to figure out, right? <laughs> but, but, yeah. All right. But Never mind. I know the answer to that already. So go ahead. <laughs> who knows? Anything, but I'm sure. I'm sure what's weighing on him is the absolute economic crisis of huge proportions, which would lead to food shortages and medical shortages. Right. People dying from right. And that's got to be weighing on him. So that that has to be why he is saying, you know, the people just voted for me to do this thing that I wanted to do. But if I do that, there will be such short-term pain for the Greek population that I can't do it. I'm hopeful that that's what he's thinking, and uh, he's going the other route. Now, there's no guarantee that the uh, Europeans are going to accept uh, what he has proposed. It may still not work, and he, they still may get thrown out. And some believe that uh, Merkel, in particular, is interested in throwing the Greeks out of the euro and getting, just getting rid of this thing, you know, cauterizing it once and for all. Uh, so there's still some drama to be uh, to be seen here over the weekend. The markets are responding very favorably to the Greek proposal to stay within the euro, uh, but that may all turn around very quickly. So it's really hard to, to know, at, even at this late moment, exactly what will transpire, and we won't know until, the, until Sunday evening, and uh, you won't be able to trade anything, so it's very hard to take any kind of positions on this when it's very uncertain. Well, you know, Rusty, that happened last time. There was a proposal, you know, right. going on Friday. The vote was going to be on Sunday. Vote came, and the market responded favorably, just like it is right, this time. Right, right. And then the vote came out no, and then Monday the market came out down. Rusty, the question is, I think a lot of people, when someone, you know, a country like this is struggling and they have to, you know, get out of this debt situation, where where is a real deadline? When does this thing End. I mean, is there ever end? Is it just going to be constantly a proposal and then an ant, a vote? Or well, it's been going on five years. I guess the question is to keep yeah. kicking it down the road. When somewhere there is going to have to be a day of reckoning, right? So I guess Rusty, that's a great question, Jeremy. From a standpoint, what's the roadmap look like? What is this day of reckoning? When when is that got to take place? And and what do you see as far as Greece's roadmap? I mean, the whole sure. idea of getting out of this. The day of reckoning could be Monday. Uh, so if they get voted out of the euro, they will face a very severe, uh, e- immediate economic and political crisis. All right, let me, let me stop you right there. Let me ask this question. Let's say it's Monday. All right, Monday they, they, they say, nope, we're not going to do it. They get kicked out. It's, a, it's a, not an orderly dismissal from the euro. It's, it's a crisis dismissal. Yeah, I- uh, what does that do to us? What does that do to us? Almost nothing. Okay. So in the United, in the United States of America, we're talking about just a – Greece is just a tiny pinprick of a – it's kind of like if uh, a nuclear bomb hit Poughkeepsie, New York or something. <laughs> New Jersey. Okay. It's, right. it's not – Sorry not for those guys in Poughkeepsie, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I apologize to them. But, but the reality is – I mean, I heard it said that the Greece economy was the size of Houston, Texas. Right. It's really just not that Big gigantic. in the big picture. And so – so it doesn't have a direct impact. It may have indirect impacts. Uh, certainly the markets would be roiled for a little bit, and there would be some you know, given to and fro. And, and you never know what's hidden beneath the, you know, beneath the surface if there's some exposure that some bank still has that nobody knew about that all of a sudden comes out and it causes ripple effects. So there's still some risk. But, but frankly, there's no direct impact uh, to the United States of America. There certainly is an impact on Europe, but even that's not that great. And, uh, and certainly it's easily over- overcomable. It's just that Greece is not a large uh, country. You know, the, the market cap, the amount of 
losses in the Chinese stock market are, that we've seen just in the last month are 15 times the size of the Greece economy. So really, China is more important than Greece is to what's going on in the world. Well, let's let's talk about that. I guess uh, uh, that's now making the headlines. Now we've seen an enormous drop with uh, China. So, uh, I mean, you know, since since I guess the middle of June, a 30 percent drop. Uh, talk about that. That is one that we're getting. I tell you what, let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about that. I want to. I want to. First of all, let's take this break. We'll do Rebecca and the Mid South History Moment. Uh, I think that's important. We do that. But then when we come back, let's let's switch gears and let's go to China. Um, I guess I I'm, I'm, I wanted one other question, and I'll do this too. I want to ask the question that literally is the Greece problem similar to the Lehman Brothers issue that we saw. Or is that just totally different? We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and Jeremy Jones, our guest today. And, I mean, we are very proud to have you. Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. He's on the phone. We're talking about what's going on with the economy. We'll be right back after this. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewart. Partners Investment Council Incorporated. Talk money. We'll return right after this. From November 1942 to May 1943, the B-17 Flying Fortress strategic bomber we know as the Memphis Bell completed 25 combat missions in German-held territory, making it one of the first such aircraft to do so. After arriving at Dow Field in Bangor, Maine, she was deployed temporarily to Prestwick, Scotland, and then to her permanent base in Basingbourne, England. As part of the 324th Bomb Squadron, the Memphis Bell bombed numerous targets in France, Holland, and Germany in the first two years of Americans' involvement in the war. For the remainder of the war, the plane and crew toured the United States to sell war bonds. After the war, although the city of Memphis attempted to preserve the aircraft for posterity, weather, vandalism, and theft left the Memphis Bell in a state of severe disrepair. The plane has since been disassembled and relocated to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where it is undergoing an extensive restoration that will preserve it for many years to come. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Rusty, we were talking before the break about Lehman Brothers 2008 and that uh, problem. I remember it's kind of like one of those moments in history. I remember when that came out on the news where I was and what I was doing. Uh, the Monday deal with Greece, can we put those in the same you know, bucket? Are they similar or are they just totally, totally different and, and have nothing to do with each other? I believe that there, there's not going to be a Lehman Brothers moment here in uh, on Monday. Uh, certainly the markets will be roiled somewhat uh, if, if this all breaks down and Greece goes out in a chaotic fashion, out of the euro in a chaotic fashion. Uh, but I do not believe that you have a Lehman Brothers moment. I don't Because, again, the debt is mostly owed to the IMF, the European Central Bank, and various uh, bailout agencies that the Eurozone has put together. It's not owned in the public sector or the private sector. It's owned all in the public sector. So you know, if the European Central Bank loses uh, – $60 billion in Greece, you know, they just print a little more money to fill up their coffers. It's not, it doesn't really change things too much. Uh, the same thing with the IMF. The IMF has certainly lost money in the past. 
uh, and from with other organizations, and they can just do a capital call from all the countries, and money will, more money will pull in. So there's no, there does not appear to be any risk of a systemic financial collapse like we saw with Lehman Brothers. Argentina, we got kind of pulled into the Argentina debacle back in the early 2000, 2001, a little bit. It, it affected our markets. Do you see the similar thing there, or do you, because this is a euro thing, and Argent, it's not a sovereign, it is a sovereign nation, but it's part of the euro, and the euro is responsible, is that different than the Argentina? Uh, well, it'll affect our markets, but not uh, only in a temporary fashion and in a limited degree, not in a uh, massive sell-off like you saw after Lehman Brothers. So okay. could the, you know, the U.S. market is you know, primed for a, uh, a sell-off anyway. The valuations are pretty high. It's been a long time since we've had a, a real correction in the market over three years. So it's kind of primed for one anyway. So we may get a correction, and it may be that Greece or something else will uh, cause that. But, um, you know, that's, I don't see anything that anybody should lose any sleep over. Uh, those are just corrections are normal. They happen you know, regularly and most most of the time in the stock market. And uh, it's a healthy development. It actually helps the market build a base to grow to new heights. So uh, I almost kind of hope that we get a correction uh, so we can build a base to go, go to new heights. Yeah, it's time for that and get us get it past us and, and move on. Uh, let's take a traffic and weather break. We'll come back because I really want to dive into China in the last part of the program. So when we come back with Rusty Leonard, it's going to be about the China stock market bubble. Is it crashing with major indices down? We'll find out when we come back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, we're talking with Rusty Leonard. Uh, Jeremy, you know, he's giving us some good insight. He's kind of said a couple of things that we could have a correction if if we have a Monday uh, no-go with uh, Greece. But he's also kind of led us to believe that there's a lot going on with China. So, Rusty, let's walk through what's going on with this China stock market. It's down since mid-June, about 30%. Is this the place where we're going to find that uh, it's going to create more problems for us? Definitely, it's got much much larger probability of that. Uh, again, not necessarily a layman moment, uh, because the uh, it's much higher probability that the Chinese banking system has systemic financial collapse, but again, there's not a lot of ties between the global financial system and the Chinese financial system. So if they do have a collapse of their banking system, which I doubt, I think the government would you know, put pump money in there and make sure that never happened. But even if it did happen, it wouldn't necessarily spread throughout the world. Good. But it is still something that's going to impact our, our you know, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's the second largest economy out there. Some argue it's the largest at this stage of the game. But uh, it will have some impact, and some of that impact actually will be positive. So as China's massive 
economic bubble slows down, and that's what we've been seeing here over the last 18 months or so. If that goes even it slows down to the point of going into recession, we're, and we're already seeing this, prices of iron ore and copper and all kinds of commodities, oil, are all falling. And uh, because demand is, is weakening from China, which is a huge consumer of these things, that helps the profit margins of U.S. manufacturers who are actually uh, using those raw materials and producing whatever they produce. So there's some, some side benefits to the U.S. actually if, uh, if China does go into a stall. But it does also impact things like Apple. Apple Computer has been selling off the last couple of days. Uh, it's not called Apple Computer anymore. It's just Apple. Apple. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's, it's been selling off because they uh, – the Chinese are apparently have accounted for about 50% of their growth over the last little while. And so if all of a sudden, uh, you know, everybody, and not everybody, but a lot of people in China are going, uh, are suffering financially because there's been $3.2 trillion worth of market cap eradicated from their stock market, and the average Chinese farmer was playing the market, uh, you know, that's going to cause a lot of Apple Watches to go unsold. Hmm. So, so we could see some positives, but also some negatives. Uh, as a result of, of China's uh, debacle that's going on right now, the stock market bubble bursting. That's great, Rusty. So we've talked a lot about the noise going on overseas. We got China, we got Greece. That's big in the news right now. Let's let's talk about domestically. Let's talk about here in the U.S. You know, everybody's anticipating um, second quarter earnings, corporate earnings coming out. Um, you know, looking at the profits for a lot of the corporations in the second quarter. You know, everybody's talking about the strengthening of the U.S. dollar. What, do, what are you seeing uh, the outlook for, for the U.S. right now? It looks pretty fine. Uh, it's hard to, hard to get too uh, bent out of shape about the U.S. economy. U.S. stocks are looking a little pricey, and we've seen them come back about 4%. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a good 10% correction before it's all said and done. But uh, the U.S. economy is looking okay. Again, it's not something that you're saying, man, this thing's hitting on all cylinders. It's certainly not that. But it's looking okay. And corporate profits uh, for the second quarter are predict- predicted to fall, but that's mostly because of the energy sector where you know profits have been decimated because of the drop in the fall and the price of oil. So it's, the average company is, uh, is doing okay. Nothing great. But they're holding their own at a very high level. So corporate profitability is uh, pretty stable at a very high level. Uh, so it's it's not an environment where one would you know feel like you have to run out and panic about anything. Uh, it's also one that you're not celebrating, going going crazy about how wonderful everything is. But it's good enough, and it's enough to keep a bull market going in the, in the long run, even if we do have a correction. Uh, it, as long as profits and profit margins stay at high levels where they are right now and interest rates stay low, we should be all right. The big question for the market recently has been, will those interest rates stay low? Yeah, interest rates have been a big deal. But you mentioned energy back in the second quarter, and that really affected a lot of the corporate earnings. What do you see with oil, and and what do you see going out in oil and the price of oil? Well, at the moment, it's hard to say anything other than it being a, a negative trend for the price of oil. So a negative being lower. Okay, lower oil price is positive for most everybody, right? But uh, right. but in terms of the actual price of oil, right. it's, uh, I think it's it's going to trend lower. It has just fallen off uh, the cliff a little bit here in the last couple of weeks, mainly on the back of the China issue. But if we do get a deal with Iran that it relieves the sanctions on them, they are going to come back to the market with a lot of oil over the course of the next year, and that will have a depressing effect. Also, the shale producers here in the U.S., have been very resilient, and uh, thus far at least. And they've been able to maintain production at very high levels, uh, even in the face of these lower prices. So um, so, so far, we're, and there's also 
new oil coming on from other sources as well, Iraq, Libya, places like that. So there's a lot of pressure on the supply side. There's demand is not real strong because of what's happening in China and because of other secular trends in the U.S. and the slower economic growth out of Europe and just everywhere. The whole globe is, is not growing as quickly as it was before. Uh, so with the supply picking up, demand not necessarily growing as fast as uh, people once thought, the pressure on oil for the moment is downward. Now, I, hesit- I hesitate to say that without qualifying it by saying at any moment there could be a terroristic uh, episode in Kuwait or Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Emirates or something like that, that would take a lot of oil off offline, or there could be uh, warfare. Uh, on the other hand, you know, we could have the Iran talks fail, and who knows, maybe Obama would start, start dropping bunker-busting bombs on Iran, and that would cause the price of oil to spike. Well, it's been a great program. Rusty, I thank you so much. You know, again, we've done a great program about the economy. you got to pay attention to it, but I want to thank all those that have put the program together. Thank you, Rusty, for being a part of the program today. We appreciate it, man. Always listen to us every Friday. We're here helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Jeremy Jones are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.